Right. Good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here this morning. Uh, Happy New Year, week two. Want to say good morning to everyone watching and listening online. As Joanna just said, as she was uh, praying for us, we're still in the Sermon on the Mount. So you've got a Bible this morning, uh, virtually, physically. We'd love you to turn to Matthew chapter 6 again. This is uh, week 11 in this major series we've been doing based out of Jesus's most famous teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And, And let me start like I do every week. The Sermon on the Mount is what the kingdom come, what the kingdom of God looks like in ordinary everyday life. It's what the reign of God and the rule of God looks like after you've accepted Jesus as Savior and King. Nothing in this this message that Jesus gives us saves us. This shows us what it looks like after we've become a follower of Jesus. This whole message actually is an explicit outline, not of a super Christian life, but a normal Christian life life. This is what authentic faith in a living Savior produces over a lifetime. And as I've preached year after year, if spiritual gifts are the guaranteed place of power to see the kingdom grow, and spiritual disciplines are that guaranteed place of transformation because they put us in the presence of the king of the kingdom, then the Sermon on the Mount, as we found out, is what it looks like in everyday life. Actually, it is the ethics or the lifestyle of us who have joined the kingdom of heaven. And as we've been seeing, Jesus in chapter 5 moved the conversation about how you meet God and how as you meet God, your relationships are radically changed with other people. And then in chapter 6, he begins to outline, address, and begins to enforce and talk about the actions of the kingdom, what the Jews would have called personal righteousness. He begins to say there are certain actions that express the kingdom, demonstrate the kingdom, build the kingdom, are evidence in your life that you're actually part of the kingdom. But then as we've been finding out just before Christmas and then just after, this is where we as followers of Jesus are actually tested the most. Jesus again today is about to say to us the greatest danger for a Christian is actually when we're doing the right thing, when we're trying to connect with him and walk with him, because it's in the environments where we're doing the right thing with God and others, that because of our sinfulness, we will be tempted to buy into something called idolatry, where we will do right things for wrong reasons and end up worshiping ourselves or other people. Now, Jesus has been framing his conversation about personal righteousness, the evidence of the kingdom around three critical acts done in the Jewish faith, giving, that sacrificial giving, prayer, and fasting. This is, this is what he talks about to his community. Now, as we've been finding out, giving, sacrificial giving, prayer, and fasting are good, they are godly, and they are expected. And as we learned in our summer series, the sister series to the spiritual gift series, they are all spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines are normal in the Christian life. Remember the borrowed definition we use. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. This is so important. Why do we pray so we can be transformed? Why do we give so we can be transformed? Why do we fast so we can be transformed? Because these actions regularly in a disciplined way put us in the presence of the one who's already met us. 
These are markers of a normal Christian life. Actually, they are standard or a definition of personal righteousness. So Jesus, again, is going to say to us as a church in this season, these acts are required of us. They're expected from us. They're an invitation to meet him. There's great joy connected to them. And we get to keep walking with the king of the kingdom by these things. Now, remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48. Jesus said these words, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. And even before that, he said in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before other people so they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. See, we are commanded and invited into this relationship. And after we've met Jesus through faith alone and grace alone, nothing we've done by God's election, his mercy, his calling, his saving of us, then we do these works post-salvation. And look what the scriptures say. We're called to do them publicly. This is not supposed to be hidden. This is not Canadian. We don't do faith in our homes. We do faith in public because they demonstrate the kingdom of God. Actually, Jesus says that spiritual disciplines done with right motives are deeply evangelistic. People will come and start meeting God when you do these things in public. But then right in that place of holiness, right in that place where the kingdom of God is coming more and more, right there is the most dangerous place to be a Christian. This is where evil is closest to us. This is where the devil speaks the strongest. This is where our sinful heart tries to woo us back to what we actually have been saved from. This is where worldliness is right beside us. Remember what I quoted last week from Michael Horton? It's so right. He said, we tend to regard sin as something that affects us when we're far away from God, like the prodigal son. He said, no, no. Sin is far more subtle and ingrained than that. It actually intrudes into the highest and the holiest of acts. So Jesus this morning in the second week of our new year comes lovingly towards the church that he has bought and owned. He is among us at this moment. He is the owner, master, and friend of this church. And he comes once again through his spirit to speak to the core of each one of us today and asks this and says this. Let's talk about once again why you do things for me. Let's talk about your heart this way. Let's talk about your motivation. Let me remind you that since I am the only one that sees everything clearly because I am not affected by politics or vanity or pride or sin, let me address the issue that continually makes my heart so heavy in every church and in every generation. It is deception, self-deception, he said this through his prophets in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? See, this verse is the backdrop to Jesus' teaching today. Because what he says is even we who know God or love God or are genuinely seeking for God, much of the time when we're doing things for him because of our sinfulness and our self-deception, we think we're doing things for God, but actually we're not doing them for him. And, and here's what Jesus begins to unpack today. And I want you to hear the tone of this. Jesus is not saying this with an angry, yelling, bear-like voice. 
Jesus is saying this because he actually desires us to know the love we've sung about this morning. Jesus is going to say this to us because he wants us to have reward as we're about to see. Hear this as Jesus coming close and saying, I want something that's not good for you. I want something that is best for you. So Jesus comes and says, when you're doing things for my Father, when you're doing things that mark the kingdom come, are you worshiping my Father or are you building up your own self-worth? Are you giving my Father glory or are you stealing his glory because you make it about yourself? Are we seeking our Father's pleasure or the approval of ourself and others? Is, Is this at the end of the day about human love or God's love? So Jesus basically is about to say, as we've been learning, look, much of what you do, much of what we've done is actually not worship, it's self-worship, it's self-soothing, it's self-motivation. And I would like to free you of that, he's saying, because there is so much more that I would like to do with you. Remember Matthew 6.1, he says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men. Is he contradicting himself? In chapter 5, he says you should do it. Now he says he doesn't. Why? Next line. To be seen by them. If you do this, you will receive no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Jesus comes and says, be unbelievably careful. Jesus says, actually, this is really, really dangerous. But notice what he says. Jesus does not say not. He says if and when. When you practice your faith, when you serve, when you do personal acts of righteousness, don't do them for yourself or others or you will have no reward from God. Why in the world would you keep eating mud when I've got so much better for you? I've got an unbelievable meal over here and you're rolling in that over there. He says, look, I want you not to lose anything anymore. I actually want you to do what actually I want to give to you. He says, let me be clear this morning. Jesus expects all of us to be involved in prayer. He actually involves us and expects us and invites us into sacrificial giving. Not just giving. We don't just give a little bit that doesn't hurt us. Sacrificial giving is when we give it out of a sacrificial place and it costs us something. He says, I also want you to be involved in fasting. But Jesus says, if you're part of my father's kingdom, my father has nothing to do with pseudo-piety because it's simply religious hypocrisy. If you are doing all these things for your sake or someone else's sake, you're actually play-acting. It's self-worship. It's taking God's name in vain and you miss the better thing. Now we've been walking with Jesus through giving and prayer and now today we arrive at fasting. We talked about this really uh, for the first time in our summer series and I want to preach some of that again. So let's start here. What is biblical fasting? Because Jesus is going to expect us to fast, so we need to think about this. Well, here's the first thing. Fasting is not a hunger strike. Biblical fasting is not eating in a a political way. Fasting is not about weight loss. This isn't Jenny Craig for Jesus, though that's very good. Or Weight Watchers. I've been on Weight Watchers. That's fine. But that's not Christian fasting. This is not a cleanse diet where you get to sort of do something Jesus asks you and then your insides feel better. No, no. That's not what this is. This is so much more profound and deep than those things. Now, I want to remind you that Moses fasted, David fasted, Esther, Daniel, Jesus, Paul. Read through church history. Fasting has marked people who walked close with God. 
Now, if you read your Old Testament, there was only one major fast done once a year in the Jewish calendar. It was connected to the Day of Atonement, where the whole nation was called to go before God and deal with sin. There were other fast days scattered here and there, but this was the most regular one. And yet, year after year, as fasting was done by the command of God, quietly and slowly, the reasons behind fasting began to shift. These so-called sacred events, these kingdom moments, move from times of uh, joy or interceding or or repenting to self-promotion. By Jesus' time, the Pharisees, the pastors of the day, would fast two days a week. They would be involved in a fast two times a week, and it wasn't wrong. It wasn't commanded by Scripture, and they did it, and and that's fine. But the problem was, why did they start doing it? This is what Jesus begins to confront in his day. And I want to remind you this morning, as Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount for the first time, the crowd is packed with people like Pharisees. And Jesus confronts this. He starts saying, look, we got to talk about why you're doing what you're doing. See, people started showing they were fasting. They would declare they were fasting to the world by being unkept. They would wear different clothes or they'd be unwashed or they'd sprinkle ash over themselves with the intent or motive or goal or, 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 or to, to get the look or reaction of people. Fasting, to put it in our language, became like the religious Instagram moment. Like, oh, look at me. Look, I'm fasting. Do you see how difficult it is? I want the whole world to know 5,000 views. Thank you, Jesus. Like, but that is exactly what starts happening because people were doing the right thing, even the right way with the wrong motive. They would say by their body language, oh, look at me, I'm fasting. I'm so much more dedicated than you are to God. Look, I'm pleasing to God and you're not pleasing to God. See how I suffer for God. Look, I'm only drinking water and, and you're still drinking juice. I'm so more committed to God than you are. God must like me more than you. And this is what Jesus speaks into. Now, I want you to turn to verse 16, because this is where it begins. Jesus says these words, when you fast. Jesus says not if, but when you fast. Jesus expects his followers to fast. And yet, like I said in the summer, many of us have never fasted, or some of us have only done it once or twice. But if we want to be like Jesus and we want to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus, then we're called into this beautiful thing called fasting. Actually, fasting is part of a normal Christian life. And Jesus is going to say to us once again today, so when you fast, I'm going to be really excited, but when you do it, I'm going to say right up front, stop and ask how you're going to do it and why. Now, if Jesus expects us to fast, we need to stop before we get to what he deals with next and ask ourselves, well, how do you fast? What does it look like? What environment do you set? And what does it even mean? Because if we don't have a common script this morning of what Jesus is thinking about when he says this, it will be useless this year. So here's the first thing. As I looked over the summer, I found two definitions that were really strong. One was general and one was really specific. Let me share them with you again. Here's the first thing. Fasting, one wrote, is the voluntary abstention from an otherwise normal function, most often eating, for the sake of intense spiritual activity. This is so important. 
Fasting sets the environment to walk with God. Fasting sets the stage for us to engage in other spiritual practices. See, when you're fasting, whether you're on the move or not, you're supposed to take the time you'd be doing the other activity and do something with the Lord. It sets the stage. Here's the other thing that's really subtle about fasting and very needed. Fasting is one of the disciplines that removes how we self-medicate ourselves as a culture. So many of us are so afraid to deal with ourselves or deal with stuff going on in our life, we self-medicate through entertainment or through TV or through food. Like we continually gluttonize ourselves with these things so we don't really make space to face what's going on in here or in our families and face God. Here's the beautiful thing. When you fast from the things that you cover yourself up with, suddenly you see who you really are and God steps in. Do you know why people don't want to fast? It's not because it just hurts your tummy a day later. It's because it shows you who we really are. If you struggle with anger, trust me, when you fast, you're going to get angry really quick. If, you, if you're fasting and you struggle, like, it begins to expose us so we can actually meet God. I love what Scott McKnight wrote. He wrote something different. He said, you know, fasting is a response to a grievous sacred moment, and contact with God ought to transform us. The rule to follow is a simple one. Fasting, like all spiritual disciplines, is designed to develop, notice this, love of God and love for others. If it's not doing that, something is wrong. See, if it is not producing love for God and love for other people, then actually something's going wrong with the discipline. So here's what we learned in the summer. Let me say it again. Some fasting is proactive. Some fasting is reactive. Actually, most fasting in the Bible is reactive. Fasting is done not preparing for an event, but happens during a serious event or after an event. Most fasting happens in the Christian life when you have an encounter with God or something else, and this is your response to the situation. Other types of fasting prepares you for a situation. So Jesus says, not if, but when you fast. Now, the question we should all be asking is, well, when am I supposed to fast? Is there like a calendar time? No. But as I shared in the summer, there are six times in Scripture where fasts took place. Take out your notes, iPads. You want to write this down. Because if you actually see these six events, then when they happen in your life, you will know when you're supposed to fast. Because remember, Jesus expects us and invites us to fast. Here's the first one. Fasting and prayer is connected to important decisions that are about to be made. Almost all major decisions in the Bible that had major life change experiences, there was fasting and prayer. Fasting says, God, I'm going to set the environment so I can actually pray and I can, ready, hear you so I will know what you want me to do next. A great example is in the book of Acts where they were making decisions about leaders. And it says in Acts 14, 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So if you're facing a significant event, yeah, your, what school you're going to go to, uh, w- w- what you want to do with your future, a uh, move, a prayer and fasting is a normal response. Now, by the way, I'm going to say this later. It's not suddenly like you fast. God goes, oh my goodness. Oh, he's fasting. I need to, what? 
I get it really intense now because I'm listening. No, no. Fasting is you putting yourself before God so you can hear. It doesn't mean he's going to draw closer, but it does mean that you have opened yourself up more to him, who, by the way, usually is speaking more than we hear. Fasting and prayer is connected to major decisions. Faster, fasting and praying also happens in response to crisis. When there is a huge crisis in life, most of us eat. We do not fast, right? When there's a huge crisis, we tend to go to things to escape. But the Bible says when crisis takes place, fasting is a normal response. The story of Esther, you should read it, is a beautiful one. Esther is the queen. She's a Jew in a non-Jewish nation. Someone wants to actually murder. There's an attempt at a genocide and a holocaust. She has access to the king, doesn't know if it's going to work out. And you can read it in Esther chapter 4, verse 15 and forward. And it says that for three days and three nights, she did not eat eat or drink anything, and she actually asked the whole Jewish nation in captivity not to do this, to say to God, help us in this time of crisis. So a natural reaction when dealing with crisis is to fast and to pray. Here's another one. Fasting is very natural when God comes close to you as a follower and deals with sin. I want to say this again. Fasting is a very natural response when God comes close And out of love, puts his holy finger and says, I want to deal with this. It's interesting, the story of Jonah is one that reveals this. Jonah, who ran and then finally worked things out with God. There was a fish, throw up, all sorts of interesting things. But he made it back. And he goes to Nineveh. And it says, and Nineveh, if you read the story, in that time was massive. It had over 100,000 people. At that time, that's like the GTA or Chicagoland. And it said that he walked around for three days saying that in 40 days, God was going to destroy Nineveh because their sin had become so rank in the nostrils of God. And he called them to repentance. And it's amazing if you see what happened because it actually says in verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. In verse 10, this is critical. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Now, this is very important. It's not saying because they fasted that God relented. It's that, did you notice it? Fasting put them in the environment to really deal with the problem that was sin. God relented because they repented, but fasting was the outward sign of an inward work. So when God comes close even to us as his children and says, you know what? I really want to deal with this issue because you know it's wrong or maybe you haven't known and I'm revealing it to you now. Fasting is a normal response of repentance. It's a normal response to get in God's presence and say, I want to work this through. Okay, there's another one. Fasting is absolutely connected to spiritual warfare. Fasting throughout the Bible is connected to breakthroughs in the supernatural realm. The book of Daniel says, you can read it in Daniel 10, that he was actually fasting for three weeks. He said he ate no choice food, no meat, no wine, touched my lips. He must have been Baptist. I used no lotion until three weeks were over. So what do you have? You have this whole intention of what? I am not going to do what I normally do. I have a pretty good life. I'm fasting because something was going on. Now the story is amazing. As he's praying, it suddenly says an angel shows up and says, look, 
I, God, heard your prayer when you started fasting and praying. I've been trying to get to you for 21 days to bring the answer. But as I was coming down, there's a huge conflict in the heavens you don't even know about. And I've been trying to bring this. But another thing has been stopping me, the prince of Persia. It's a demon. There's a war in heaven. I finally made it through when Michael showed up. Here's the answer. I actually got to go. There's a battle and leaves. There is a breakthrough, though, connected to fasting and praying and what happens up there, which affects down here. They're not separated. Remember, it's symbiotic. The world, capital R reality, is physical and spiritual. And the two things are not two things. They're one thing, and they have effect. You see this in the life of Jesus. The beginning of Jesus' ministry is a fast where it says in the book of Luke that Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit is impelled. He's pushed into the desert by the Spirit. And it says that for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus ate nothing. He was fasting. He was tempted by the devil. And then Jesus overcomes him and the devil leaves him. Now, why is this important? Let me tell you why. Because this is actually the place where Jesus first breaks the power of the evil one. It's not the cross. It's here that it begins. Because right after this event, all the deliverances start uh, taking place and people start getting free from the evil one. But it starts with fasting and prayer. And in that environment, the evil one is overcome. So let me say this this morning. If we want to see significant change in the region, if we want to see significant change in the area, and we admit the scriptures are real that say that people are blind and held by the evil one, fasting and prayer are critical to a breakthrough in Durham. Critical, because this is how this works. So Jesus is not if, but when you fast. It's also interesting, too. Fasting, here's another one, is a response when you've actually encountered Jesus in a very profound and powerful way. Very rarely in our Christian lives do we have moments like this, but they happen, where suddenly God moves from omnipresence to palpability. Suddenly God's in the room. You meet God, the one that you love, in a very personal way. When we encounter God beyond the normal rhythm of life, that is when fasting is expected. Actually, I love what Scott McKnight wrote when he said, fasting is a person's whole body natural response to life's sacred moments. The story of Saul, who became Paul, illustrates this. Saul was hunting people like us. Paul was trying to, Saul was trying to put us in jail. He was on his way to Damascus. And it says that in Acts 9, as he was on his way, it says in verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city. You'll be told what you must do. And then it says, for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. When we encounter God in profound ways that go beyond the normal rhythm, fasting is a normal response because it allows the experience to linger as you make yourself open to God and you don't quickly run from the encounter. It is a critical aftermath piece that most of us, when we have a moment with God, do not do. And so we do not hear everything God probably wants to say to us. Here's the last one. Fasting is an act when we actually want to break into God's personal presence. 
When some of us desire to move from his omnipresence to his palpable presence, fasting is a critical component. But it's not, again, manipulation. This happens when a Christian is longing for God, is desperate for God. It's actually homesickness. I I quoted this in the summer. Let me do it again. I love John Piper's simple, raw, exposing thought on uh, on fasting, uh, Christian fasting. He said, you know, half of Christian fasting is that our physical appetite is lost because of our homesickness for God is so intense The other half is that our homesickness for God is threatened because our physical appetites are so intense. This is a very important quotation. This actually is what we're going to talk about next week too. But let that sit in. If you have never been, as a follower of Jesus, homesick for Jesus, and this is critical, if you have never been homesick for him, then the world has too much power over you. And fasting is this expression to Jesus of homesickness. Oh, how I want to be near you. Oh, how I want what is coming. Because what is coming is better than anything that I could buy or have or experience here. Fasting is this personal, deep expression of homesickness. But fasting also is a good discipline because it disciplines the things that could quench that homesickness and tell us that actually down here is the best shot we've got. Without fasting, homesickness, or the lack of it, usually is never deeply brought up in a Christian's life. So Jesus comes and he says, not if, but when you fast. These are the environments. These are the places. Most of them reaction, not proactive. This is when I want you to fast. And like I shared in the summer, because a lot of you are asking it, there are three types of fast, just to help you. There are three types of fast that we, are, we see in scriptures. One's a normal fast. One's an absolute fast. One's a partial fast. So a normal fast is nothing but water. We see this, Jesus doing this uh, in the desert. If you're asking, can I drink Perrier? I suppose you can, yes. But a normal fast, just water. The second one is a partial fast. You see this in Daniel, where you choose to give up part of something. And so let me give you an example. In the last few months, I was involved in a fast. And as I was involved in it, all I did was drink juice and had fruit. I didn't have anything else, no coffee, no tea, no, you know, nothing else except those things. That's a partial fast. It's when you give up something that is normal, but it's not a complete thing. So this is when television, video gaming, social media, a magazine you love, all those things, when you give up something partially in your life to fast. And remember, why are you doing this? You're doing this to participate in time with God. So when you'd be watching TV, now you stop instead and you meet with him. Or instead of being on social media all the time, it becomes a time of prayer or or however it works. One of the best things to tell you about fasting is this. Hunger is your friend when you fast because it becomes a signal. When I fast from certain foods or all foods, when I I hunger, when my body says, John, what's your problem? That's the signal to me to pray. I use actually that as a rhythm to pray very simple prayers. Now, an absolute fast, we see it with Paul and others, is very dangerous. 
and should only be done if God really commands it of you and if you actually talk to a doctor. Seriously. An absolute fast is you have no food and no water and you can only do it up to three days. After three days, well, you may fast yourself right into heaven. So please don't do that. So an absolute fast is is very significant. None of these are better than the others. They're just what happened in scripture. So let me say this again, C4. Not if you fast, Jesus says, but when you fast in those environments, in these ways, now watch what he says. When you fast, verse 16, do not, do not look somber as a hypocrite does, for they disfigure their faces to show people they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Now, we found this out. Hypocrites comes from the idea of play acting, a Greek actor who had multiple masks. He says, don't play act in my kingdom. Jesus said, and is going to say again, when you fast or when you serve or when you give money to God or when you pray or when you preach or when you lead worship or play an instrument or when you pray for healing or when you lead a connect group or when you taught a connect course or when you worked with our students or when you dealt with evil directly or or when you served the poor, when you do anything for God, when you do any spiritual practice, when you use any spiritual gift, why are you doing what you're doing? Do you do it so you feel better about yourself? Do you do it so people will respect you? Do you do it so people will actually like you? Do you actually do it so some people will follow you? When you did that thing in God's name, did you do it out of duty? Did you deal, deal with it so you could actually deal with insecurity you have? Do you do it so people would agree with your point of view? Do you do it just to feel again? Do you do it actually to get back at someone? When you do these things, Jesus says, by your word, and your body language and your actions, are you saying, look at what I am doing? Or even more subtly, are you saying inside your head, I am so amazing. Look at what I am doing for God. See, Jesus says right there, that's it. You've been given what you wanted. You got what you wanted. People's respect, approval, self-gratification, self-worth. You got it from the wrong source, but you got it. What you wanted, the look, the love, the security, the identity boost, it has no eternal reward. So you got what you desired. But the act of fasting, any godly thing can actually look right, even be practiced right, but if it's done in the wrong motive, has zero effect. One of the scariest verses in the whole Bible about fasting is found in Zechariah 7.5. God comes and says these words, Ask all the people of the land and the priests. So, ask the pastors and the elders and the people of the church these words. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months for the past seven, uh, 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? Now, can you imagine this? Can you imagine God coming and saying, I'd like to talk to you, C4, about the last seven years. And can you imagine, he says, did you even do everything you did for me? Can you imagine him coming and saying, everything since 2007 that was done right and practiced right, your motives actually weren't for me. So guess what? It has no eternal reward. And Jesus is basically saying these words. He's like, you need to understand That I want you to have reward, but you are giving up reward because you keep doing things for my kingdom for the wrong purposes. I want this place to be filled with people full of joy, love, and reward. But you keep giving it away. 
This is what Paul says at the end of time when we face God as Christians. And I want you to hear this. As Christians, when we face God, we're not going to lose our salvation. But everything that we have done in God's name is going to be tested. 1 Corinthians 3.12, if a man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day, that's judgment day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive, there's the word, reward. But if it is burnt up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. See, here's what we learned in the summer, and here's what I want to say again. When we die and we face the one that we love, Jesus, and at the end of time when we all gather, each one of us, not as a body, each one of us is going to face God and have a conversation with him. And he's the one we've been waiting to meet with for our whole lives. So it's going to be beautiful. But then everything we've done for him is going to be taken and it's going to be tested and it's going to burn. And what was genuinely done for the kingdom come is going to be a reward. But everything else that wasn't is going to be gone. It's like I said in the summer, all sorts of sermons I preached will never be found on Judgment Day. All sorts of prayer times and things I did. Why? Because they sounded right. They were even theologically informed. But here's the terrible thing. I did them for me. I did not do them for you or for God. And so he says, I want you to have reward. So this is what it says. Back to the text. Jesus says, I want you to do this. So verse 17. So when, there it is again, when you fast as people of my father's kingdom, put oil in your head and wash your face. Now don't take this literalistically. You don't have to literally go pour oil in your head. Here's what he's saying. When you wake up, put on your makeup for the day, wash your face, brush your teeth, put on your clothes the way you do every single time, go about your day as it always. And while you're doing it, fast. Why? So then you will not be tempted to lose eternal reward and you will not set yourself up to sin. I love what John Stott simply said. When you fast, just be natural. When you fast, just be natural. Verse 18, so that it will not be obvious to people that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what's done in secret, he will reward you. Now, we found this out in the summer and just before Christmas. Jesus says, I want you to practice another spiritual discipline when you're giving, when you're praying, and when you're fasting. Actually, all these things. I want you to practice the spiritual discipline of secrecy. Now, secrecy doesn't mean lies. Secrecy simply means this. Here's the definition. It's a conscious refraining from having our good deeds, and notice this, and even our qualities generally known, which in turn rightly disciplines our longing for recognition. Basically, this is the idea that we want recognition, but we want it from God, not ourselves or anyone else. So you can't lie. See, I think I shared this in the summer. When I'm fasting, my kids will say to me sometimes, Dad, why aren't you eating dinner? And I don't go, well, my children, I can't tell you why I'm doing this. Because if I tell you, I'll lose all eternal reward. Do you want me to lose eternal reward, children? Like, are you joking? No, I say to them, I'm fasting. Now, I'm not looking for Noah's approval. I'm such an amazing dad, I'm fasting. No, I'm telling them I'm fasting, and I tell them why I'm fasting and what it means. But I'm not doing it for their sake. I'm doing it for God's sake, but I'm just giving content. So if you're out on your, you know, in your everyday life and you're fasting, and a bunch of people at work say, hey, you want to go for, for a meal? And you say, no, not, I'm not eating today. They're like, oh, are you okay? 
that becomes an opportunity to talk about a rhythm, as long as you're doing it for the right motives. Don't be involved in deceit, but be involved in truth-telling. If your motives are pure, you can do these things in public. It's about your heart. And here's why. We experience, this is so critical, we experience such a powerful intimacy with God, the Father of the kingdom, when we live independently from the opinions of other people. His voice lasts. Mine doesn't. Your wife's voice isn't going to last. Your, your husband, your friend's voice, all that goes away. The only voice that lasts, that ripples into eternity, is God's. And so this is a call. I love what Dallas Willard said when he said, the desperate attempt for people to advertise themselves is actually truly unbelief because it reveals they need the attention of other people and not God. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, we will be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. So we're going to do our acts unto God, like publicly, but secrecy rightly enables us to practice, sorry, secrecy rightly practiced enables us, I love this, to put our public relations department entirely in the hands of God. If you want to be a vibrant Christian, if you want the kingdom of God to come more in C4, then secrecy is so unbelievably important because then we start doing things for God and not for others or or anything else and suddenly intimacy begins to explode and we say, God, if you want to make me famous, awesome. If you don't, great, because I'm not comparing myself anymore to any other preacher or anyone else in church. I'm not looking at that connect group and say, well, they have 40 people and we have 12. No, no, that's done. My question is, God, are you pleased, period. When that happens, everyone gets free of all the bizarreness, the drama between each other. And then guess what? We get reward. We have joy. There is wholeness and holiness in the church. And people go, what is going on over there? And you say, oh, it's it's Jesus. Prayer and fasting and giving can be done in public, actually should be done in public. Over half the New Testament examples of fasting are done in public. Actually, most of the Old Testament ones are done in community. But here's the point. When we fast, not if, when we fast, are we doing it for God? Are we doing it to provide space to do other disciplines? Or are we doing it to show off or be spiritually known to others? Are we called uh, into the practice of fasting? Oh, yes, but while we're doing it, we're called into biblical secrecy. One last note, and then I'll sort of give you what I think the Lord wants to say to us as a community in the season. Uh, Two things. I preach a lot longer on this in the summer, but two critical things. Number one, fasting doesn't control God. I just want to say this. If you go to certain churches, they talk this way. Let me tell you, my boss is not controlled by anybody. Fasting, like I said, it's not like fasting is something you pull out of the drawer and God goes, oh, Red alert. The fasting app is out. I'm like, really? But that's how people talk. God doesn't bend down closer when you fast. God doesn't suddenly take his divine eyes and focus on you at that moment because suddenly you're really serious because you're... Fa- no, no. Fasting is a way we are giving our whole self to God. It is actually opening us up to God to hear what he's normally saying to us. Yes, there are critical moments where he comes close and we respond in fasting. But this idea, not of reaction, but as we walk towards God to fast to get his attention, he's already looking at you. He loves you. He never takes his eyes off you. 
You don't have to get attention by doing these things. This is not a stunt we do in church, like a dance. Look at me, God. No, you fast so you can make yourself open to hear what your good, loving, heavenly Father is already saying to you. Here's the other thing. Fasting doesn't save you. None of these actions make you a Christian. These actions evidence you're already in the marriage. They are not the marriage themselves. Very critical we hear this. Last few thoughts. Fasting is a declaration that all we are is for the kingdom of God. It's a great outward demonstration of an inward decision. Jesus' words are humbling because the truth is, as we keep coming back to this topic, we realize how much we've already lost. Jesus' words also are a little uncomfortable because he doesn't give us the right to pick and choose. He doesn't give us a buffet menu of personal righteousness. He says, not if, no, when you fast. But these words are unbelievably empowering because he says he, his father, our father, wants to give us reward and he wants to be close to us. When I was preparing this message and, and thinking it through, I was asking the question, uh, Jesus, we dealt with this in the summer. And so we're back here again because it's in the Sermon on the Mount. What do you want to say? Because God's truth never changes, but situationally he applies it for reasons. So I just said to him, Lord, is there anything you want to say to see for it's your church? And I really believe uh, this is what he wants to say. So I'm going to encourage you, everyone, to stop for a moment. I want you to pull out something to write this down. Like, write this down. This may not be for all of us, but I think this will be for many of us. Uh, and I just think this is for the church this morning. I think God, in 2015 is going to invite many of us to fast more than we ever have before. Now, it's very interesting because this is a normal practice, but my sense is as I was praying and seeking the Lord, I actually think Jesus is personally going to come, not to all of us, but to many of us, and he is going to invite us into some seasons of fasting, maybe for the first time or in greater measure. And as I was praying and asking the Lord, well, what do you want to say to your church? Why would you ask C4 at this moment? Here's what I believe I heard, and we can test it and see where it comes out. I think God is going to invite many of us to fast for different reasons. Now, here's the first thing I need to say. Everyone in the church has to be willing to say to Jesus, I'm willing to fast. As we start 2015, if it's true that the Spirit of God is saying to C4, I'm going to invite many of you into fasting, then you need to say right up front, I'm willing to do what you ask. No matter how hungry I get, I'll try this, okay? But here's what, here's the first thing. Some of you, when you fast, are going to have a conversation with God about calling. That God actually in this year, in 2015, is going to affirm, reaffirm, or directly give you a calling for your life. I don't know who it is, and by the way, that's not even my business. But I just want to say this is critical. Some people, while you fast, as God invites you into it, there's going to be a calling conversation that will change the trajectory of your world. Others of you, God is going to invite to fast, and as you're fasting and praying, he is going to answer prayers that you've been praying for a very long time. Now, this is very important because this is, my sense was as I was wrestling with God about it, he wants to show you his faithfulness, and he also wants to reassure you of his presence. Some of you desperately need this, and this is just sort of going to be a critical thing. So I just want to share that. Here's the next thing. Uh, some of you are going to be invited into fasting, and God is actually going to confront your sin 
or he's going to confront your sin and he's going to lead you into a time of fasting. My sense was as I was praying, not the whole church, this isn't a statement for C4, but God is going to come very close to some of you who he loves with an intensity that is just undescribable, but he is going to deal with sin a particular sin or a group of sins in a way he has not done before. And through the fasting process, here's what I'm going to say to you. He's going to heal you. He's actually going to heal some of you of things you don't think you can be free of. Here's another thing as I was praying. I think many more people are going to be asked to fast and Jesus is going to, by his spirit, ask you to begin to pray, intercede very specifically for the pastors of this church, uh, for family, So some of you may be assigned literally to pray for pastors. I think some of us are going to be assigned while we fast to pray for our families. And in the heart of the family thing, it was really interesting. And I'm going to preach on this at 9.05 tonight in a different way. I think this year the Lord, as as some of you begin to fast, he's going to lead you to pray for some prodigals to come home that have not come home. And others of you, this season as you fast and pray, he is going to radically save some of your relatives that you don't think in heaven or hell they're ever going to come to Jesus. And he's going to save them. So, well, we'll see. We've got to test this. But, but the, the, this is the heart of it, that he's going to invite some of you into a time of fasting. And during that fasting, there's going to be some times of prayer where real salvation is going to happen for relatives. It wasn't friends. It was relatives. And here's uh, the last thing. Some of you are going to be called to pray for the region in a way you've never prayed before. You are, during times of fasting, going to be so burdened for the region, you're going to begin to cry out for God to do anything he must in the region in a way you never have done. So all I'm asking you as one of your pastors, as one of your shepherds, and as a fellow Christian is this. I want everyone as we start 2015 to be open to what the Spirit is saying, to be willing to fast, and then see which one of these assignments he may give you. But here's the heart of it, and I end with this, and and the team can come up as we prepare to respond in communion. As we learn to do this, we're going to learn a very precious commodity in this church. It's called faithfulness. The show comes and goes, but perseverance and faithfulness in a church is a beautiful, beautiful, rare commodity. And so if something wants to be drawn in and out and through our church this year, I think God wants to grow a depth of faithfulness to him, and fasting is going to be the vehicle he teaches us to do that. So can we just take a moment, all of you online, whether, again, you're in a connect group today, whether you're actually watching in the States or somewhere else or one of our distance groups, I just, can we all take a moment... And can we just pray about this? And then we're going to respond joyfully together. Uh, Lord, uh, thank you for your kingdom. Thank you we're not saved by fasting. Thank you we're not saved by anything we do. But thank you that you continually invite us back towards yourself. Here's our prayer this morning. Number one, Lord, uh, would you lead this church to fast? And, and I pray right now at the beginning for protection, that this wouldn't become legalistic or duty or drudgery. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would specifically begin to speak to critical people in their walk, in their place, and begin to tell them, no, that's you. I want you to fast. And Lord, we pray over these things right now as a church. We pray, Lord, that you would call who you want to call and help people to say yes. We pray for answered prayer that we have not seen and for faith to grow in our church. We pray for healing Not physical healing, healing for sin. We pray that uh, people would come back 
uh, to Jesus. We pray relatives would be saved. We pray for the pastors and leaders of this church that we would do what Christ wants. And we pray that you'd begin to lead people to weep and intercede and wrestle for the region. And we pray that the precious gift of faithfulness would mark our church beyond anything we do day in and day out. Lord, make us faithful. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, you would encounter us when we fast, you'd convict us when we're off, and we pray that you'd continue to bring renewal. We pray for revival, and we pray for awakening. We pray this in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and everyone said, amen, amen. Well, would you stand, and let's prepare to respond in communion, because what a great place to respond. Jesus, right, told us that when you gather to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. He said that every time you gather, remember what I've done for you. And this is why this is important today is this, because this is the reminder. We're not saved by what we do, but we get to fast and do other things because of what has been done. So if you're a Christian, you're welcome to communion. If you're not a Christian, don't take it yet because you have not embraced him. If you're on the run from God, don't take it unless you're willing to come back. But for all of us sick, tired, well and unwell, come to the table, celebrate the grace of God, celebrate the work of God, celebrate the power of Jesus. So Lord, we pray over these elements, you'd meet us here at these tables and we would celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus that allows us into the kingdom. Meet your people, we pray. Amen.